Why don't you grab your Bibles? And if you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand? We'll get one for you. All good. All right. Now you're saying, uh, Pastor Rex, where are we turning to? Well, just, just hold on. Just hold on. If you're, if you're that antsy, you can go to Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, but we'll get there. Okay. Uh, before we, we open up the Bible and dig in, I just got a couple prayer requests. We remember Jude Armstrong in prayer. He had surgery this past week, and uh, this would be the third um, reconstructive surgery on his ear, and this one went really well, and we praise God for that. Um, and so we want to make sure we continue to lift uh, Jude up. That's a praise. I think the last, last Sunday when I got up here um, and prayed, we had about, felt like, a two dozen prayer requests, right? Um, and just a reminder then as we went into the song Healer, that God heals. And uh, this week I want to mention some praises. Uh, so Jude Armstrong, we're going to give God praise for that. Pastor Ben and Danielle have been married 12 years. They're celebrating their anniversary. That's a praise. She put up with you. That's awesome. Um, and I uh, also want to give a praise. Many of you have started contacting about uh, Tracy Newcomb as um, you're starting your um, trips to Toledo, uh, to Flower Hospital, um, and you need help with transportation. As a church, we want to bless you with that. And so we've got a schedule here that you can hop in. Next week's all taken care of. That's, that's great. And then now the following week, starting actually July 29th, we've got some open spots. Uh, so again, if you would like to help take one day and help drive them down, we've got the details on that. An email went out. If you're not getting those emails, that's because we don't have your information or because you're not on the prayer list. So see me or put a note and put in the blessings box and say, I, I, I want to get those emails. Um, so uh, I, I think this is a praise because right away we started getting response from people saying, uh, I want to help. Um, so that's, that's great. You know what uh, Pastor Landon said when he is up here? I tell you every week, go be the church, but it starts with being the church here, uh, loving one another, serving in our church. And that's how we're the church first, right here. And then we take this, and then we go on, we be the church. And so thank you for being the church to one another. Let's continue to do that. And with that being said, uh, let's, let's go to God in prayer and just give him a shout of praise, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for being an awesome and mighty God. We thank you, Lord, for marriage, uh, for the celebration of the anniversary of Pastor Ben and Danielle. And we thank you for... Uh, celebrative moments in our lives when we can step back and say thank you God and thank you Lord too for for Jude and, and the surgery as it went well we just pray for healing now uh, as he's uh, home recuperating and recovering Lord we uh, also want to say thank you for uh, this church and how it stepped up uh, to work at power camp or to help like with Tracy helping him get to the hospital I thank you Lord uh, for moments like that we can celebrate God now we just pray that our hearts are still, our hearts are quieted, and our hearts are open to your words, to your truth. In that precious name we pray, amen. Let me hear you say all in. Let me hear you say all in. Let me hear you say God's all in. The world's all in. Jesus is all in. There you go. We're on our series right there. Uh, we are all in, as the shirt says. And uh, the first, you know, I'm going to say two weeks ago, we talked about God being all in. An all-consuming love. God who created you with value and purpose says, I am all in and loving you. And that was the first Sunday. Last Sunday, we talked about how the world is all in. Fears, doubts, troubles, anxiety, uh, pressures. 
The world is coming in hard on us because John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan wants to take you out, and I don't mean on a date, okay? He wants to eliminate you, destroy you. Sat down with a young lady this week um, from a school up in Michigan, and um, a junior high girl, and she had all kinds of questions about suicide. And she kept talking, and, and, and she was just asking questions, and, and that's why I'm asking her questions back. And, and uh, she said 14 girls in her middle school, I'm not girls, 14 students in her middle school committed suicide this past year. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. I'm telling you, Satan wants to destroy this generation. The world is all in. But we got good news. Let me hear you say we have good news. Look at the person next to you, somebody around you say, we've got good news. Tell them. See, that's the problem. We don't tell each other good news enough. We just, you know, text each other, Facebook the bad stuff. Got to tell each other the good news. Here's the good news. Jesus is all in. Uh, on the basketball courts on Monday, I was at a camp helping with the camp, and uh, there's, there's kids from everywhere. There's about 250, 270 um, athletes there, junior high, senior high athletes, and then uh, from all over. And there was one area in Detroit. I cannot tell you the five digits on that zip code, but it's the um, nation's third worst, most violent neighborhood around. And they sent about 15, 16 kids from that neighborhood to camp. Um, this camp had kids that grew up on the farm, kids from inner city. Oh, great mix, okay? The kids from that neighborhood were tough to work with. I'll just put it that way, okay? Some of them were not very coachable. They sat there like bumps on a log and you could do all you want to do to get them to coach, but they look at you and they're like, why should I listen to you? And I'm not working hard today. Matter of fact, I might just sit here today. And there was one basketball player. Everything that came out of his mouth, um, I'll say this, wasn't very positive. It was all about him those first couple of days. And... Um, and he threw out the name of Jesus Christ very often. And at first I didn't hear it, and then I did hear it. And after a while, you know, it was after a point, it's like, he's, he's taking my Lord's name in vain. Why, why do we have to use the name of Jesus Christ when we get mad? And you know, why, why do we hear that? I saw a, a coach is being fined hundreds of th or tens of thousands of dollars uh, because he made a slur, um, a gay slur. So he's going to have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to this organization. I'm sorry, but I think every time a professional athlete takes the name of Jesus Christ, then they should give us tens of thousands of dollars. Amen? We'll build a building, okay? Start overflow some way or another. But here's the thing. I don't understand why you can take the one and only true powerful name, Jesus Christ, and just throw it out there and it's no big deal. As believers in Jesus Christ, we know it's a huge deal. It's the name of our one and only true God. So when we hear the name of Jesus in different places, in different areas, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? Do you have the flannel graph Jesus from Sunday school for those of you who grew up in a church and, you know, they put the flannel graph up there, a little Jesus next to the little lambs and take it off and pull it over? How many remember the flannel graphs? Anybody out there? All right, good. Some of you. Some of you are like, What's a flannel graph? <laughs> I got a flannel jacket? Uh, Google it. That's all I can say, okay? We read the Bible. We hear stories. We picture Jesus like this gentle, God-like man. 
and uh, smiling, laughing, wandering around with no cares in the world, hanging out with his disciples, peaceful, maybe witty at times and humorous, uh, charming, caring. And the backdrop of Jesus is this, I'm going to say sort of a tranquil uh, Middle East, not like today. Sort of these uh, picturesque villages and bustling markets and smiling people. And, uh, but is this really a good picture of Jesus and his surrounding? Maybe that's how you picture when you read the stories. How did the ministry of Jesus begin? Okay, you in your Bibles here? Look at Matthew now, chapter 2. Now, how did this all begin with Jesus? Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. It says, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod's going to try to kill the child. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with Mary and mother, and Mary his mother. They stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. This family flees the country. They were hunted. They were hunted. I want you to think about this. What a time to be growing up with Jesus. Herod puts out this decree. I want every male child, two and under, eliminated. This is sure to get rid of this Jesus. Think about the graduating class with Jesus Christ. There was none. All those boys were gone. I want you to let that sink in. You remember the shooting in the school on the East Coast about two years ago and all those children that were killed. You think back here. He said that surely God could have taken Herod out, right? I mean, before Herod takes out all these baby boys, how about God take Herod out? Wouldn't that be a better solution, right? He could have sent angels to protect this family. But we do know that from Scripture, when we read Isaiah 55 eight, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. And a lot of times we say, here's my thought on this, God. Here's my way on this, God. And God says, my thought and your thought, my ways and your ways are not the same. And there's reason for that. Maybe we don't fully understand it now. Someday we will. Someday we will. John 7, 1. Let me read this verse here. We're going to throw three scriptures up there. John, Matthew, and then again in John. John 7, 1. Listen very carefully because I'm going to have you repeat three words on this. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. Let me hear you say plotting his death. And then in Matthew 12, 13 to 15 says, Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand. And it was restored just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Let me hear you say, how to kill Jesus. But Jesus knew what they were planning, so he left the area. Many people followed him, and he healed all the sick among them. In John 10, verse 39 to 40, once again they tried to arrest him. Let me hear you say, arrest him. But he got away, and he left them. He went beyond the Jordan River near a place where John was first baptizing, and he stayed there a while. Here's the, here's the bottom line to all this. Jesus was a hunted man. Jesus was a hunted man. From the time he was born and Herod wanted to eliminate him 
to as he grew up and he started ministry and they plotted how to kill him. They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to make sure that they put him to death. He was a hunted man. We don't remember that flannel graph picture of Jesus, do we? I don't remember seeing Jesus with a scared look on his face and sort of looking over his shoulder running and then you have these Pharisees and other people chasing after him with fists. Don't remember that. Yet we know this. Jesus had a mission too. In the book of Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Jesus had been talking to this wee little man and the wee little man was he. And what is his name? Zacchaeus. Some of you remember the story and the song. Okay, very good. So Zacchaeus... This tax collector climbs up in a tree. Jesus comes along. He calls Zacchaeus down, if you remember the story. And everybody hates tax collectors, right? And Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. Let's go hang out. Everybody got mad. Who are you hanging out with sinners and tax collectors? Jesus said, because I came for the sick, not the healthy. And then he went on to say this. I came to seek and save those who are lost. You want to know the mission of Jesus? Right there, you got it. Mission statement. Seek and save. Seek and save and save. John chapter 2, verses 13 uh, through 17, Jesus comes into a temple. It's a place uh, of worship. It's been changed. If you will, open up your Bibles. Let's go there. You're in Matthew, so just go back three books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 2. Two accounts of this. Here's the first one. John chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. It was time for the annual Passover celebration. Jesus went to Jerusalem. Verse 14, chapter 2 of John. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices. He saw money changers behind their counters. Now think about this. Listen. Jesus made a whip from some ropes. Okay, so he's looking around. He sees what's going on. He comes into the temple. People should be praying here. People should be worshiping God but he sees people taking advantage of other people, jacking up the prices, going to make you pay more than what you should pay. And I'm making this a, just a big marketplace, and really there's no opportunity for some people to worship because of all these merchants. And Jesus knows that. How can anybody worship his heavenly Father when there all this bustle's going on and, and all these animals are being sold? So he looks around, grabs some rope, makes a whip, Oh, he's fuming. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Jesus is getting upset. Well, let's read on. He made a whip from ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and oxen. Oh, he started a stampede. Can you think about this? For those of you who have grown up on a farm, you've been around animals, can you imagine going out to the Fulton County Fairgrounds, get a whip, just go into the steer barn, okay? Untie all the steers, go in the, in the, into where the pigs are, open up all of the gates and the sheep and just start cracking the whip. You want to see animals scatter? I mean, they've been all pinned in and not moving around and all of a sudden, whoo, gates open and somebody's cracking a whip. You want to see a stampede? A stampede's taking place in the temple right now. All the merchants are probably backing up saying, what is going on? Now read what happens next. And he scattered the money changers' coins over the floor and turned over their tables. That'd be plural. Now he grabs these tables and these money changers. We're not talking a couple coins. We're talking their money boxes and their bags of coins. 
And Jesus just boom, you know, knocking them over and coin. No, it's not like bing, 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 bing. No, change is flying everywhere. You've got a stampede of crazy animals going all over the place. Now money's flying everywhere. The money, the merchants are trying to grab their money, and there comes a cow, and then there comes some sheep, and you know, they've got all this stuff going on. It's a madhouse. It's supposed to be God's house, right? Let's read on. Then going over to the people who sold doves. I love what he does here. He doesn't take the cages and smash them. Doves, which represent peace to us, right? He grabs the doves and he says, get things out of here. He didn't touch them. He said, get these things, take them out. Then he says this, don't turn my father's house into a marketplace. What upset Jesus? What upset Jesus was the fact that people were coming between them and God. Somebody was distorting worship. Jesus was a hunted man, but now we see Jesus come to seek and save the lost, but it's hard for the lost to find Jesus when they're purposely being blocked from seeing him. John chapter 11, turn there with me, just a few chapters forward. John chapter 11, I'm showing you a different side of Jesus this morning for a second. John chapter 11, verse 32. If you remember the story of, of Lazarus that died, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus dies, and and Jesus was really close to them, really close. And when Lazarus dies, we know about him going to the tomb, but I want to read a couple of verses here. Verse 32, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell down at the feet and said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And she put a little blame there. Jesus, I know you can heal people. You heard he was sick. You did not come right away. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But there is purpose for this, right? Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, he was moved with indignation and was deeply troubled. Now, let me give you a different translation to that. When Jesus saw her weeping and the other people wailing, a deep anger welled up. Another translation, he was deeply moved. Another translation, he groaned. And when you look that word up in the Greek, it means to snort in anger, like a war horse. If you've ever watched any of those old westerns or movies with the cavalry, and you see those horses snorting, and they're getting ready to rear up, and they're ready to go in, and you have, that was a terrible snort, wasn't it? You're just laughing at me. It's like, that's not a war horse snort, is it? I'm not going to ask you to give me one, but, um, but for those of you who have horses, have been around horses, when they get angry and there's like, like a war horse snorting, that's the word here. Jesus is mad at death. The death of a friend upsets him to a point of anger. It's a righteous anger. It's an, it's an, an, an emotion that he walks to the tomb with. See, when Jesus got mad, it was never hurting man. He never hurt anybody with his anger. He never demeaned anybody. He never humiliated anybody. He, he never went out and made somebody feel bad about themselves. With his, he was always upset when people came between him and God. He was upset with death. In a loud voice, let's read on verse 38. And Jesus again was deeply troubled. They'd gotten out to the tomb. 
and they came to the grave. It was a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, said, Lord, by now the smell will be terrible because he's been dead for four days. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you'll see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone away. And Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so they'll believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted. Let me hear you say shouted. Let me hear you shout, shout. Very good. Jesus didn't walk up that tomb like, Lazarus, come on. Hey, Lazarus, please come out. He shouted. Look what he said. Lazarus, come out! That's a shout, by the way. Okay, I'm sorry if it startled some people. Now we're ready to go to church, right? But that was Jesus shouting it out. Lazarus, come out. He screams it out. He shouts it out. Lazarus came out, bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in head cloth, head to toe. And Jesus said, unwrap him, let him go. He looks sort of funny, bouncing up and down, all wrapped like that, right? And he freed him. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And as he's praying, and he's sweating, a mixture of sweat and blood, and, and he's praying hard, and he goes to his disciples, can't you stay awake with me? Stay awake with me. The time is near, and he goes back and he prays again and prays again. And finally, after much prayer, fast forward now to John chapter 18 with me, please. And uh, as we were singing this morning in worship, this story actually got brought up, which was really cool. I said, preach it and sing it. Here it comes. John chapter 18, as they are there praying, along comes Judas. Get to the right verse for you. Verse 1, chapter 18. After seeing these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples, entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had gone there many times with his disciples. The leading priests, Pharisees, had given Judas a battalion, it's a key word, okay, of Roman soldiers, temple guards as well to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, let me hear you say torches, let me hear you say lanterns, let me hear you say weapons, they're loaded, aren't they? They arrived at the olive grove. Jesus, fully realizing what was all going to happen to him. I love it. Jesus is like, I know what's going on. I know what's going to happen. But let's continue the story for those who haven't come here yet. Okay? Stepping forward to meet them. He steps up to them. A battalion, by the way, is like three to 600 soldiers. Temple police. Pharisees. The religious leaders. Stepping up to meet him. He says, whom are you looking for? Look at their reply. Jesus of Nazareth. His reply is this. I am he, Jesus said. Judas was standing there with them. And when Jesus identified himself, as he said, I am, you see what happens? Watch this. He goes, he goes I am. Poof! And they all fall down. Now, I could have said a fall down, but then that was not as dramatic. And so you remember the story, right? Can you imagine three to six hundred soldiers, temple police, Pharisees, all these guys, they come with what? Torches, lanterns, 
weapons, big massive army to come in and get Jesus. I am. And they all fall down. The words here went backward, if you're reading along, come from a Greek word, and it depicts the soldiers and police basically staggering and stumbling backward, okay? as if some forces hit them, pushed them backward, and the word fell, the Greek word pipto means to fall. I know, it's really deep, isn't it? The word fell in Greek means fall. It's a tough one. Okay, anyway, so you're like, wow, there's no change exactly. Not on that word, right? So when it means they fell, they fell like a corpse, like a dead body. And actually, when you go further into translation, they fall so hard. These members of this militia came to arrest Jesus. They were knocked flat by some kind of force. In fact, the verse says they went backward, they fell to the ground, and to the grounds taken from the Greek word tamai, which depicts the soldiers falling abruptly, hitting the ground hard, some force unexpectedly, without any kind of warning, hits them and they go. I'm going to keep saying this over and over. I want you to understand all it took was two words coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. I am. Relating him back to Old Testament scripture when Moses says, God, who should I tell the Pharaoh is sending me to get these people out of Egypt? And God said, tell them what? I am. The name of God. Fast forward to Jesus Christ, and he goes, what? I am. Translation, God's right here. And God spoke, and they fell. Go back to Genesis 1, and God said, and there's creation, right? When God opens his mouth, ooh, look out. Look out. What a shock it must have been for those military men. They discover that the mere words were Jesus was enough to overwhelm them and overpower them. And they're getting up. They're brushing themselves off. They're picking up their torches and their lanterns. They're picking up their weapons. And they're like, I, just, I don't know. I mean, I just... And there's a little muttering going on. And the captain up at the front was like, pull together. And then Jesus says, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Who are you looking for? <laughs> I wonder who the first one was to say. Did you say, I'm not. All right. Jesus of Nazareth? Because they knew what he did the last time he spoke, right? Jesus said in verse 8, I told you that I am he. And since I'm the one you want, let the others go, my disciples. And with that statement, he basically gave himself up to them willingly surrendered to them, knowing it was all part of the Father's plan for the redemption of mankind, for you and I. But it's important to understand this when I read that story too, is that no one took Jesus. No one took Jesus. Jesus gave himself up. See, when you look through the stories of Jesus, we don't have that flannel graph Jesus so much anymore. The way he was so strong the way he faced sin, going into the marketplace. This is my father's house. I don't want anybody coming between God and you. Nothing. I'm a jealous God. I want a relationship with you. And then when he faced death, it's like, I hate death. Someday you will all be free of this. And he just shouts out the Lazarus. Get out of here. 
Right now, come and see me. You, not time for death yet. And then, with the militia in front of him, two words knocks him down. I think as we read through scriptures, we understand Jesus could have done anything he wanted because he is God. He is the Son of God. He is powerful. No force strong enough to resist his power. No sickness, no financial turmoil. No relational problems that you and I have. Political force. Absolutely nothing has the power to resist the supernatural power of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Nothing. So whatever it is you're dealing with this morning, when the great I Am opens his mouth and speaks, every power that attempts to defy him or his word is pushed back until it staggers and falls backwards on its can. That's the way it goes because we serve a risen Savior that's very powerful. Very powerful. Philippians 2, 9-11 says, Therefore God elevated him, Jesus Christ, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above every name that every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? His love, his sacrifice is all in. Jesus is all in. In. Let me hear you say Jesus is all in. From you read on from John 18, and if you flip the pages and you continue to read on through John 19, you're going to see that Jesus was whipped for you. He was beaten for you and me. They grabbed his beard and yanked out chunks for you and me. He was put on a post, stripped naked, and with a cat, cat's tail uh, whip, they took it and ripped and shredded his back open until he was a bloody mess and you had no clue who this man was for you and me. And then to take the cross and carry it through the city, around the city, parade around to be humiliated and laughed at and cursed at and then to take it up onto Golgotha and to be put down on that cross to be hammered in and then to be raised up on the cross and dropped in until he had to go to breathe. He was suffocating. His lungs were filling up to breathe. He had to push himself up the cross to breathe until he couldn't breathe anymore for you and me. Jesus was all in. Step back to the garden just a few hours earlier. I am. Put everybody down. At any point in time, he could have stopped and said, there's, there's, there's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be an easier way. But Jesus said, I'm all in for you. That's why Jesus has to be our Savior. Because nobody else can save us from the junk, the sin, and all the things that go on in our life. You want to talk about great comebacks in history? That was it right there. If I tried to look up a, a sport or a, a business that was failing and tell you how it came out of failure and out of bankruptcy and, or an athlete who is hurt, hurt, hurt and all this and he comes back. and This is the greatest comeback in history. Nothing compares. John Eldridge writes this in his book. It's called The Beautiful One. He says this. Listen very carefully. The hunted becomes the hunter. As Jesus crucified descends into hell personally, Demand, to demand the keys from Satan. What was that journey like? Far more than a twilight walk to a cottage. He faces a creature way more terrifying than anything you've met in your nightmares and makes Satan bend the knee. Then Jesus simply turns, walks out again, leading a train of rescued captives with him, only to race off to catch up with two disciples limping down the road to a place called Emmaus. Hmm. 
Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're still messing up and making mistakes, Jesus says, I'm all in. I'm dying for you. We know John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 3.16 goes on to say the same thing. For Christ laid down his life for us. He's all in. John 1.12 talks about how it's now our choice to accept that gift of salvation to all who believe have the right to be called children of God. Therefore, my brothers and sisters of True North Church, and for those of you visiting, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we have the saints that look down upon this church and around. They've witnessed the life of faith, right? Therefore, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates, perfects our faith. Because of our joy awaiting, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated at God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't be weary and give up. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. So, my brothers and sisters, get your eyes fixed on Jesus. Get your eyes fixed on Jesus. He is all in for you. He is all in for you. And ask the worship team to come forward. As they're coming forward, I, I want to share with you about a young lady. Her name is Katie Spots. Uh, I shared this story a couple years ago. Some of you uh, may not have been here when I shared that story. Some of you were, so I'll share that story again. Uh, she was in her mid-20s. She did something that was really inspiring, something very dangerous, something almost like a lunatic maybe, I don't know, really crazy. She was setting out uh, to row a 13-foot rowboat across the Atlantic Ocean 3,038 miles. Leaving from Africa, rowing to Guyana, uh, it would take 100 days for Katie to accomplish this goal. I want you to think about that for a second. If that was you, and you're going to take a 13-foot rowboat across the Atlantic Ocean over 3,000 miles, what's going on in your mind right now? Fear? Anxiety? Question, I wonder if I can really do this? Do you think your friends and family? Okay, parents? who have a 20-something-year-old or a teenager? What are you thinking about your kid right now? What's going on in your mind? She probably heard the voices, are you crazy, are you sure, are you kidding me, you have no experience. I'm sure she heard all those voices, she had doubts, she had fears, she knows the ocean, the ocean is a dangerous place, storms that appear out of nowhere. Freighters that could come across and not even see this little dot in the ocean and topple it and crush it. And of course, Dun -dun -dun. Dun -dun -dun. Right? Sharks, man of wars, ocean life. But here's the thing, it was her choice. Her dream kept coming back to her. Motivation was outstanding, remained. And unless she attempted to accomplish a goal, she'd be haunted with these, well, what ifs? What if, what if I never do? Why, you know? So she maintained her motivation for her mission. She prepared to accomplish a goal. She'd never been on the ocean before, and that's, that's 
thing that amazed me too. She's never been on the ocean. She doesn't even know how to row a boat. She's going to go 3,000 miles in a 13-foot rowboat. So she practiced. She trained at rowing. She learned navigational skills, weather patterns, radar, GPS technology. She packed enough food to last her 100 days. And uh, the boat could withstand 50-foot waves. It had a, a small cabin that maybe she could sort of scoot into. But um, inside, it heat up to about 100 degrees like a sauna during the day. So it wasn't exactly the greatest of places. But it did provide some um, kind of place for her to get out of bad elements. But I was impressed that this girl, she wasn't a high school stud athlete or anything like that. Matter of fact, she played sports, but she was what they call a bench warmer. She came off the bench. She wasn't um, that popular of a girl, but, but she knew what laid ahead of her, and she admitted it. She didn't allow fear to keep her from her mission. She knew there would be times she would doubt herself, so she surrounded herself with a great support system. Matter of fact, her mom wrote 100 letters for 100 days. Where to go, Mom? So every day she'd pull out a letter and read it. Uh, I remember looking at this story on, uh, online and seeing a picture where she started at the port in Africa, and there was this little yellow boat, a little 13-footer yellow boat, and there was this huge freighter called the Concordia. She left in her boat, and the next day the Concordia left, uh, this freighter left the harbor to cross the Atlantic, and the Concordia actually on its voyage sunk and is sitting at the bottom of the Atlantic right now. And there she goes in her 13-footer trying to get across the Atlantic. So what motivated her? Here's her secret. She'd been on a trip to Africa, to Kenya, actually. Uh, witnessed that people had unhealthy water conditions. Water is life. Didn't have good water. To collect good drinking water, you had to walk for miles. You had to carry it by hand, which meant women and children were doing all the work, carrying all the water. That meant the kids who were carrying the water are not in school. That means they're not getting an education. Poor water conditions meant sickness and death. Katie decided to do something about it. So her adventure, the whole reason she got in this boat and went across was to raise money to go back to Kenya to dig wells and do proper irrigation and bring safe sand filters so that these people could have healthy drinking water so they could live, so they could have education. That was her motivation. Her motivation to give life was her mission. And she went the distance, 70 days. She did it in 70 days, not 100. That's pretty amazing. A little over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was getting ready to leave a heavenly place. And I'm sure all the angels were saying, where are you going to earth with those people? Do you know the dangers? Do you know what you're going to mix with? They're going to plot to kill you. They're going to try to arrest you. They're going to hate you. They're going to spit on you. They're going to pull your beard. They're going to put you on a cross. But Jesus said, I know. But I've got a mission. Compelled by love, Jesus came and said, I came to give life, give it abundantly. Motivated with the mission of love, Jesus was all in. And he left that heavenly port to come here for us. What a beautiful mission. What a beautiful Savior. What an awesome God. I know our world is a mess. We look at the Malaysian airline that went down, the whole issue with Ukraine and Russia. Um, I, I, that's troubling. Locally, we look around what's going on, maybe sickness, job issues. That, that's troubling. 
as I shared with you about um, the campers that I worked with, um, the school with the 14 junior hires, that's troubling. The camp that I was at, I've never been at a camp in 25 years. I've been to a lot of camps in 25 years. I want to share this with you as we close. I, I, as a counselor, as a director, as a chaplain, as a coach, this is the first camp I've ever been to where every night I was spending at least an hour plus talking to multiple campers. I don't believe in God. How do you know the Bible's true? I, I think it's all hoax. Um, the suicide issues, the, the um, being teased and bullied issues. Um, I've never had so many conversations with disbelief in my life. And on Thursday night, as we talked about Jesus being all in, that night, kids in their seats started confessing out loud their sins. And as I was praying, I was just, God, it's time for us. Your son, Jesus Christ, is all in for us. Love us. It's time that we are all in for him, for you. And as we're praying, asking God to forgive us, these high school boys started confessing out loud. Lust, stealing, lying, pornography. They're just confessing their sin out loud. They didn't care. It was a Holy Spirit moment that I've not been around in a while. It was incredible. And in that point in time, a lot of confessing going on, we asked Christ, you know, at that point in time, confessing our sins, and all these kids started pouring down to the front. They were everywhere, in the aisles, just praying, asking Christ in their life. Six-foot-four kid out of Osborne High School, again, the worst, I'm sorry, the third most violent neighborhood in, in America. Big six-foot-four kid, the kid that I was working with on the basketball courts, I was lazy, didn't want to do anything with. And day number two, I was like, I'm going to go out to the soccer fields. I don't know if I can handle these boys anymore. I like kids who are coachable, you know. But he kept coming back to me every evening asking me a question. Big six four, Alex comes walking, walking in. Actually, I think he's six six. And I had to like head onto his shoulder. And he just looked down at me and said, I need Jesus. Can we pray together? And it's the most genuine prayer. I've heard a young man pray in a long time. Our world's a mess. And we've got Jesus. He's all in. Motivated with a mission to love. I want all of Jesus in me. So I can take that same mission into this community and surrounding communities. I hope and pray that's your desire too. Understand, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day you've given us. I thank you for your love. I thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to this planet. He was hunted. He was pursued. But little did we know that he was hunting us and pursuing us the whole time to seek and save the lost. God, I'm so thankful that I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, is the Savior of this world. And I'm so thankful that the people of this church also believe that. But Lord, there might be somebody in here this morning 
that's never placed their faith in you. They've never believed that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, or they thought, well, he's just a good man. No, he was not just a good man. He was not a lunatic. He was not a liar. He was the real deal. We thank you for that. And God, because of that, we ourselves might have some messes in our lives that we need to confess, or we need to just cry out for your help. So God, right where we're at right now, Lord, let us just pray to you. Lord, we just pray that if there is sin, Lord, we can just we can pray silently and confess that to you. If there's help we need, we can pray silently and ask you for your help. But God, do not let us walk out of here without talking to you first. Because you tell us in 1 John that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Ain't no sin too big for you. Thank you, God, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, to help us. Thank you, God, for sending your Son to live within us, to live with victory. Lord, as Christians, as believers in Christ, we can walk out of here confident that we have the same mission as you. Give us, Lord, that encouragement this morning. Lord, help us to be thankful for what you've given us. Let's not take it for granted. We love you, Lord. In my precious name we pray, amen.